You're listening to The Lively Show, episode 93. Welcome to The Lively Show. I'm your host, Jess Lively, and this blogcast is designed to uplift, inspire, and add a little extra intention to your everyday. Welcome to the show, guys. Thank you so much for listening, as always. Before I get into today's awesome episode, I want to do a quick shout out for anyone who has not yet signed up for the upcoming intention setting workshops that I'm doing free, live, and online. The first one's tomorrow and the second one is Tuesday. These are the only intention setting live free online workshops I'll be doing in all of 2015. So I hope you join me if you can make it. You can register over at lifewithintentiononline.com. So far, over a thousand people have signed up for the workshops and I cannot wait to work with you as well. I'll be answering your questions live and staying on after to answer any other questions you have about the show or just life in general as well. For those who can't make the live workshops, don't worry. I also have a mini series for you coming out later next week, so you'll get details on that then. Now let's talk about today's episode. Today's episode is with John and Sherry Petersick of younghouselove.com. I'm guessing that many of you listening to this episode already know John and Sherry. They don't really need an intro, but for anyone that's not familiar with them, I have actually kind of struggled to try to describe them without trying to do some, you know, laundry list of all of their achievements or whatever. But the truth is they had an amazing interior design and DIY blog for seven years. Four of them, they were both full-time blogging as their full-time income for their family of two little ones at this point and their dog, Burger. Then in October of 2014, they decided to end the blog. It was kind of an abrupt decision to some, but it was the right decision for them to make at the time. It's been almost a year now, and they're here to share what they've learned from that experience. They're gonna talk about their new upcoming book, Lovable Livable Home, which is out on September 22nd, but you can pre-order right now through Amazon and Barnes & Noble. And we're gonna talk about really what this blogging experience taught them about themselves, about having an online audience in the first place, what their work-life balance truly is, and ultimately why they were never able to achieve it in the past. And of course, how they dealt with the extreme positivity and criticism that came with having such a very involved community. So we're going to talk about all of that and whether or not they're going to come back in the future and under what conditions If they decided to come back, they would choose to do so. Let's go to the show. John and Sherry, thank you, thank you, thank you for coming on the show. Well, thanks for having us, Jess. I know, this is going to be fun. I know a lot of people are super excited about this. Let's start from your beginning. Tell us about your background and how you got to where you are. Let's see. Okay. Well, I was born. No, I'm just kidding. We started a blog back in 2007 just to document what we were doing to our first home. And it was this cute little ranch in Richmond, Virginia. And it was basically because we were like so excited by what we were doing, but we didn't want to email blast our family all the time with like, we painted the kitchen. So it was actually John's idea. And I was like, that's weird. What's a blog? And I was like the weird resistant to technology person. And I was like, this sounds strange and nerdy. But he was like, fine, I'll just do it myself. And he wrote the first post. And I was like, hey, wait, that looks kind of fun. (laughs) (laughs) So I like started to blog too. And we were like just a husband and a wife talking about our home. I don't know how to explain this in words that make sense now. But the way it felt then was you didn't send someone the link to this. Nobody knew it existed. So we sent it to our family. And our family was the only one watching because they had the link. So 
sort of the way our brains worked was like, how would anyone else find this? They'd have to randomly search whatever terms to find it, you know, and we did just didn't think that would happen. And then sort of very, very slowly, there'd be like someone we didn't know saying, I found your blog. Good luck. And we were like, weird. <laughs> someone from California just said that. <laughs> it was an interesting experiment, I think, to start talking to more than just our family. And about a year into doing it, so this is about 2008, we were sort of in a groove of doing it. We kind of were like, we've got the hang of this a little bit. And Sherry was doing freelance copywriting at the time. And I was working at a local ad agency. So she had the flexibility to sort of start putting more hours into it and thinking about if it could be sort of a full-time job for her. And I think it took about a year even from there to get to the point where it might even be considered one person's income around right. 2009. Right, it was like, I was saying this is my job, but it was like, a 90% pay cut. <laughs> it was really funny how slowly it grew. But I think it was kind of unique at the time to have a husband and a wife talking about their home. It lined up with the recession and people DIYing for fun and also for practicality reasons. I would say it used to be like, you never told anyone how cheaply you got something like there was an era where you'd never say like, Oh my gosh, on sale at Target. And now it's almost exciting to talk about how you got a deal. And so I think we were lucky in that we were talking about doing things more affordably in a time that people were sort of open to that message. They were being forced to be affordable even if they didn't want to because of the economy. So we always say we were lucky just in timing a little bit because by 2010, when Sherry was pregnant with our daughter, Clara, our first child, we sort of were at this crossroads where we could say, okay, we can let go of the blog and John can stay full time. And Sherry could watch Clara, we could get healthcare, or I'm sorry, childcare. But we sort of wanted to give it a go with the blog. We were both having fun with it and it had this potential to be something more. So in 2010, we had sort of figured out how to make more off of the blog so that I could come on full time and quit my full time job, which was quite scary at the time because it's like, oh, I'm going to have a baby and give up my health insurance. How did you guys navigate that? Our family really kept us in check at that moment. We're like, are you sure? Have you crunched the numbers? Does this really make sense? And I think. We're kind of really good at making these big leaps. We lived in New York City, and that's where we met, working in advertising in the city. And we did that for a while and dated and then decided we wanted to sort of make the trade for a better lifestyle and not so much midnight and weekend work time. So we made this crazy decision to move to Richmond, and our whole family was like, are you sure? Let's not really like the epicenter of advertising. And it felt crazy at the time, but we sort of landed and had all this energy and enthusiasm, and we're fine. You know, I got freelancing gigs. John got a full-time job here. So I think we're not strangers to making a leap, but we're pretty good at sort of checking that we make sure we have our like parachute on, you know what I mean? So we looked at our savings and we knew we had enough. And I think the one really amazing thing was that we left doors in advertising open that seven years later are still open. So we really made sure that we were like, guys, this is something we have to explore, but like we want you to know we've loved everything about this experience. You've been amazing clients. You've been amazing bosses. They've been amazing because they've said, well, if blogging just combusts in a year, come back. It felt like training wheels a little bit because we had these industries to go back to if anything happened with blogging. I think Sherry and I make a good pair in the sense that she is really adventurous in some ways and can see the potential of the future. And I'm sometimes kind of like the more rational, I'll even say fearful of the two. And so when we were making that decision to leave New York City, we left not having jobs. And that was very against my usual nature. Yeah, my nature to have everything planned out. And that was sort of the first instance in our relationship where we sort of said, we're going to trust this and we're going to work together. I'm sure it will work out. And it did. And so when we were making the decision to go both work on the blog full time, we sort of did the same thing where she was like, this is going to be great. I'm sh it's going to work out. We've got this momentum. We're both passionate about this. And I sort of sat in the background and crunched the numbers and said, 
okay, well, this is what the blog is making you know, now per month. It needs to get to here per month for us to feel confident with this. We need to have X in savings. We need to have these doors open in the back so that if we run out of runway in six months, we have somewhere else to go back to. And so I think we balance each other out well in that way because we can shore up both sides of a decision. I'm like the crazy passionate Italian and he's like the practical, dude, let me just look at my calculator for a minute. (laughs) (laughs) How would you guys summarize the four years that you are both full time? The biggest surprise and gift of our lives. Looking back on it, what kind of memories do you have from that time? The word that always comes to my mind is crazy. Totally. Totally. I would have said the same word. In the best way, though, because we've always said with this blog, we never had a plan for it. We never intended it to be a full-time job for even one person, let alone two. And so we sort of were just kind of riding it to see where it took us and kind of enjoying the adventures along the way. You know, we had sort of already achieved all we wanted for it just by it being able to support the two of us. We never had this concept of bloggers might start making money when we started the blog. And we never had this concept. And then bloggers might get book deals. It was like a gravel path in front of us. And we had no idea where it would lead. And nobody really did at that time. I mean, we didn't know anyone else who was making a living from blogging either. You know, it was like the biggest surprise of our life when a magazine wanted to put us on the cover and talk about our little ranch. And we were like, this is so strange because we were doing this as sort of like a venting mechanism and a way to connect with other non-experts. And I think it's kind of been funny to watch it because the progression of professional blogger kind of turns you into being somewhat of like a tapped expert. I'm saying that in quotes because I still don't think we're experts, but it's funny that you get this following because you're sharing things in this honest, real-time way and you're not an expert and people relate to the mistakes you made and the trial and error that you shared. And so I think it's funny that you get a book from that and you get a product line at Target. We never, ever expected that would happen. Let's talk about what has happened since you have stopped blogging, which was last October, almost a year out. And I'm sure all of your fans are wondering, What the heck John and Sherry have been up to? (laughs) It's been a lot of like thumb twiddling. Right. We we eat bonbons all the time. We just sit and eat bonbons. Just joking. (laughs) (laughs) Underline bold. Right. Let's make sure that sounded like sarcasm. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Just like your actual post. So what have you guys been up to? Well, I think this year for us or almost a year has been a lot of, I'll use the word recalibration for us. Because when we stopped actively blogging, there was a big empty space in our hours because it had consumed so much of our days for so long that it has taken us a while to figure out what the sort of new balance of things has been. And that's been an exciting process. It's been a kind of a scary process at some points. But we've been really grateful that it has balanced out more. And so now we've got more time for family stuff, which is one of the main goals of stopping the blog. But also we've been able to sort of take on these other jobs that we've had to push to the side before because we just didn't have any room on our plates for them. We always describe it that when people are like, so what are you doing for work now? We always describe it as a mix of our previous lives before blogging and advertising and what came out of our blogging lives. So we're doing lots of freelance copywriting for Sherry. I'm doing some consulting with my old company. In advertising. In advertising. So there's like, I always say it's like 50% old life, like advertising stuff. And it's so funny how you can just jump back in. I think the day we published the post that we were stepping back, John got two calls from agencies that very day. So it was awesome. Like, there are still people in Richmond who know us as the advertising couple, you know, and that's cool to kind of dive back into that. And I had clients in California and New York who 
immediately hired me back to do taglines and other copywriting, script writing, and even fun naming projects, which I used to be a product namer. And I always thought that was so random. And now I'm naming products again. Tell us about one of them that we might have heard of. I'm, I'm never allowed to say it. Why not? The best thing I ever named is a very famous cheeseburger with bacon on it. Now my mind is reeling. <laughs> Isn't that the weirdest thing you've ever heard? I've named cell phones for Nokia. They're just are things we're never allowed to say because we're under contract. Because a lot of the times what happens is people hire a naming firm to name something and then naming firms outsource the help to freelancers. So as a freelancer, I never get to put the bumper sticker of I named the whatever. I mean, I named a local financial company, Oyster. It's just fun. You think about things that are evocative, like an oyster is in a shell and it's shiny and it's a treasure and it keeps things secure in that shell. And you think about security with money and treasure. It's kind of the opposite of blogging because blogging uses like 30,000 words and in naming, it's literally like one or two words that evoke some feeling. And sometimes it's very subtle and sometimes they're wacky. And I just like it because it's kind of wearing different hats. One day you're writing for a company that is really serious and one day you're naming an app. It's fun and it's all over the place. I feel like I know you on a whole new level now. (laughs) Now my head is reeling with all the things you may have named. So what is the 50% that is from your new life, quote unquote? Well, the funny thing is, I think when we stopped blogging, we kind of expected the whole blogging side of things, like the connections we had made from Young House Love to sort of just stop with it. But it's been so amazingly surprising that there are things from that that get to live on. We've been doing product design with Liberty Hardware, the company that we worked with previously to do our Target collection. Now they're selling some of our items at Home Depot. We obviously got to continue working on our book, which is coming out. And also we had worked with a local builder to do a show house in 2014. And now we're working with him to design some new model homes. So all these little things that were kind of extracurriculars when we were blogging now get to make up a bigger portion of our plate. I like to say it was taking everything off of our little cafeteria tray and then putting things back on selectively. And so it was like, okay, we cleared everything and we just went back into advertising. So for the first few months, it was 90% of what we were doing was ad stuff. And it was a huge surprise to us well after leaving blogging that Home Depot was interested in carrying some of our designs. That was like a shock beyond belief because it kind of felt like blowing out all the candles when we stopped the blog. We didn't expect that people would still want to have products we designed. That was a big surprise. And then this builder just came back to us last month. So this is a very recent development, but he has five spec houses. It's the most fun ever. We're picking tile and lighting and flooring and designing the kitchen. So it's like all these things that I definitely would not have known how to do that before seven years of blogging. And same with product design, that that was like things we've learned over seven years. Advertising is fun. We jumped right back in and it was like riding a bike. We were right back in. I mean, there's some new stuff like apps. I never named an app before and now there's apps. (laughs) I love that. I think a lot of times people look at the opportunities you get from blogging as a indication of how big your platform is. But what you're saying is, yes, you guys did have the mega beast of a audience watching every move you made. But what you also are just saying is that there are skills you learned that are worthy of the industry that you were in, and you're still able to get paid from those skills without the platform now. Right. Well, the strangest thing to us, or probably the coolest, I like to use the word validating because it was extremely validating for us, was that we designed a bunch of stuff for Home Depot that was not sold with our name on it. So they tapped us for designs and it said not Young House Love, not John and Sherry anywhere on it. And it was in stores and it was online. And it was basically them gauging our sort of worthiness as designers without using our following at all. We didn't Instagram about it. We didn't Facebook about it. Nobody knew it was ours. 
it was us proving to them, but also really to ourselves that on our own right, we were good designers. And when those started selling really well and they picked more up and they expanded the stores and expanded the quantities, it was really cool for us because we kind of did have that question. Are we just good product designers because we have a group of awesome followers who want to buy stuff? Or are we good product designers because we know what's missing in the industry and can create something people want to buy? We still have products that are sold not under our name, not only at Home Depot, but at other national brands. And that's very validating because if we Instagram about something Young House Love has designed or with our name on it, it's really fun. But we're not really depending on that to prove sort of our worthiness to ourselves or the company anymore. It's just a fun fact to share with our fans. If they like something and they see that we designed it, they can pick it up. But there's not the pressure of this is our full-time job. Our family relies on this. We need everyone to show up and line up around the block for something. It sort of takes the pressure off in this amazing way. And it gives a lot of encouragement, I think, for anyone that's blogging that may not get the gargantuan following, but can look at what they're doing as an investment in their skills in that industry that they're interested in, too. I think that's a perfect summation, because I think even we had that fear that you sort of your worth as a blogger is measured only in hits and likes and follows and shares and all those metrics that we can obsess over. And certainly, obviously, there is worth associated to that and there's value to those things. But I think there is life beyond those. And like you said, like the skills that you develop still have worth independent of how many people are following. Now, let's switch gears slightly. How is Clara, Teddy and Berger doing? They're They're awesome. They're awesome. Clara's giant. It's amazing how adding a little baby to the family makes your firstborn look like, you know, she's ready to go to college. (laughs) She does look so big in the book. I couldn't believe it. And that was shot like six months ago. Yeah, that was like she's, January. She's so big. She is going to kindergarten this fall and doing well and loves her brother and, of course, is still obsessed with Mr. Berger. And I don't know. It just it feels like things are really good. Teddy is walking now and talking, and he just is like a little person instead of this little baby. And that's really fun to see him interact with Clara, and they color together, and it's just very cute. And Berger's good. Berger's awesome. He's still the biggest diva in our house. Yeah. <laughs> He likes to talk, so you might hear him at some point. Does Clara know that the blog isn't there anymore, or does she have any connection from that past? I don't think she really ever had a concept of it. If you ask her what mommy and daddy do, she says we're fixers, because she always sees us with like paintbrushes and hammers and stuff like that. And she knows we write things, and she calls our first book the family book, because the family's in it. So she calls that our family book. I don't think she has any concept that every family doesn't have a family book. When John and I were dying over seeing it at Barnes & Noble for the first time, she just was like, oh yeah, it's our family book here. I've seen it on grandma's coffee table. And we're kind of like, it's different to see it in Barnes & Noble. (laughs) Exactly. Let's talk about your new book. What do you have in store for us? Oh, the new book is fun. It's weird when you write your first book, you're like, that's my baby. I will never write anything this good or I'll never love anything as much. And then much like having a second child, your heart expands to make room for the second book. I don't know. I wouldn't say favorite because that's mean, but we're really excited about the new book. John, what do you think about it? Well, the new book is, I think, a perfect encapsulation of how we've evolved. It addresses loving the space that you live in, no matter what state it's in what budget you've spent on it, what style you have, or how messy it is at that very moment. When we wrote our first book, we were doing most of the writing and photographing, I think when Clara was just barely a year old. And so we were pretty fresh into having a family of more than just the two of us and Berger. And so now we've had five years of having Clara and over a year of having Teddy. And I think that 
it sort of opened up our eyes to how a house and how rooms can function for a variety of members in a household because they all have different needs. And I think it also having the audience of people we interacted with on our site gave us a great appreciation that our version of a family is not the same as everybody else's version of a family and everybody's style and everybody's budgets and everybody's needs and challenges and all those things are so different that we really wanted this book to sort of embrace and celebrate those differences. This is sort of the anthem of homes are meant to be lived in and not just looked at. Because we've all seen those beautiful rooms and we're like, oh my gosh, give my kids two minutes in that room and it would be just ruined. Or like my dog could never walk on that couch because he'd pull it with his little claws. Or even like John and I are famous for saying like we're messier than the kids. We would totally trash that rug because we're the ones who come in with muddy shoes or whatever. So we really wanted to like sort of showcase spaces that were just as beautiful as they were functional because we realized in this journey that it's not either or. And we selectively picked families who had a lot of these challenges, you know, lots of little children, lots of older children, lots of animals moving frequently, either rentals or the military and how to make a rental or a military home feel like it's true home, a child in a wheelchair, ways to make homes functional for every family. And of course, we couldn't represent every single family, but we tried to really cast a wide net. The book is like 50% of us sharing what we've learned and what works for our family, but we're not the only family. So the other 50% is really us learning from other families what works for them. And we had like a million of these aha moments where we were like, oh my gosh, I never thought how that would be helpful. Or I never thought that that would really be a smart solution to that problem, but we're wowed and we're amazed and we're so excited to sort of capture it in this book. I have an early copy so I could have this interview with you and read it ahead of time. And it was so cool to see the variety of styles, like you mentioned, and families, and also just to see your new house or the house you're living in now. I say new because it was kind of new before you guys ended. It's so fun to see how your rooms have turned out. Thank you. I know that's been one of the interesting things. I think we've for seven years documented and explained every single room as we went. And so in some weird ways, we feel like the rooms that have come about after we stopped blogging are sort of this pure, less influenced in an amazing way. Like the other rooms in the book are other people's homes that weren't influenced by sort of sharing them as they went. And I think it's been fun to rediscover what we truly want without thinking, is everyone going to think this is a weird choice? Or like, will this not please everyone? Because when blogging is your full-time job, it does kind of get in your head like, we need to be interesting, but we need to be true to our style, but we need to not do the same thing every time. So that means being less true to our style. And it's sort of this dance that you do with yourself where you're like, am I doing this for me? Is this the right move in my forever home? When we stepped back from blogging, that dialogue just stopped. You know, we got to do what we wanted. And the funny story is that none of these rooms in our home were planned to be in the book, obviously, because we were still going to be blogging. And we never wanted to have to hold rooms while we blogged for a book. We wanted to be able to share everything. But I think the gift has been that in just doing them on our own timeline, we realized we wanted to put them in the book at the final hour and sort of squeeze them in and share them. Because it's really interesting, I think, for people to see where our style has sort of evolved. That's such a great segue. Every now and then I share a little PS or something special on my email list about upcoming guests and I ask for questions. So here is one from Janelle, which is perfect. And you kind of touched on this, but I wonder if there's any more to it. So she asked, how has your home decorating and DIY process changed since you've stopped blogging? It's been really fascinating to see how it's changed for us because like Sherry said, we have spent seven years almost documenting every step and taking a pause at almost every little decision to photograph and explain it. I think not doing that for the first time in a while as we worked on some of these rooms, 
was scary to start because we were like, how are we going to do this? But then it was actually just so natural to let a room kind of evolve and flow together and not obsess over little things that we might have when we were like, well, if we're going to do a blog post about the hardware we picked, we got to make sure the hardware is an interesting choice. (laughs) (laughs) But it's almost like the onus was on every single thing we chose to be interesting. And a lot of times the first thing we do in a room is paint it. And I would think going into it, oh my gosh, I'm going to be like, hey, I painted another room tan, guys, get excited. We didn't have to worry about that. We knew, for example, our living room is full of a big, colorful rug and has a lot of texture and there's a brick wall and there's a mantle with marble and there's a ceiling that has a color on it. So we went just white on the walls. And I thought, gosh, if I was blogging, I'd have to do all this explaining of like, guys, it's not going to be a white room. I promise there's like a million other things that are going to layer in. There's this awesome sort of reveal of the whole project that people get it and you don't have to do as much like reverse explaining as you do in the sort of real time sharing. I think it makes so much sense as I'm repainting every room in my new house and they're all white cream or one room is black. And that one room looks great because you kind of get a sense of what it might look like just because the color is so strong. But all the other rooms, I know what's going to finish them out and make them interesting. But just from a casual observer in our currently empty house, it's kind of like, all right, so you just took all the character out of it by taking the color away. Right, right. I think everything in a vacuum is less exciting than it is when you see it all together. And I kind of feel like in blogging, it was it was like, it's your full-time job to be entertaining and inspiring and all this stuff that you're like, ah, I'm getting very clammy thinking about it. And so I think oftentimes decisions that should have been simpler, we subconsciously, they were overwrought. And so we were like, oh my gosh, it will be so boring if we just do the same thing that we loved in another home. Like another white kitchen is going to be so boring. But the truth is we love a white kitchen and this is our forever home. So there's this awesome, I guess, sort of release of worrying about how everyone will react to our own home. And it sort of feels like our home is now ours instead of communal property. And that I think has been very healthy. I think everyone's home should feel like it's theirs. We haven't touched our kitchen yet, but spoiler alert, it's going to be a white kitchen. (laughs) (laughs) I love a white kitchen too. I can't imagine just doing a different color just so that I could make interesting content because it's something that's so personal that you have to deal with and live in day in and day out, not the person on the other side of the screen. Right. Well, I think it's an interesting dichotomy because it was almost like we heard from half of our readers who were like, do exactly what you would do if we weren't watching. We want to know exactly what you would do. Don't be influenced by anything else. And then there were readers who were like, you can't keep doing the same things. This is your full-time job of two people. You must do something different and interesting and inspiring and entertaining. And it was this pull in both directions of do we make a choice that's totally us that we know we're going to love? Do we make a choice that's interesting? Nobody has done. Are we being too trendy? Are we not being trendy enough? Are we spending too much money? If you are a blogger, you must take your audience into account and your audience wants so many different things that sometimes it can be hard to hear your own voice the loudest. And I think a lot of this was subconsciously happening. I don't think at the time we were aware how much we were taking into account all the feedback, both, you know, positive and negative and like, oh, I'd love to see this or I'd love to see this. And I think it's only after we've stepped back and we sort of were able to quiet some of the other feedback and really hear our voices the loudest that we realized we can move forward a lot more confidently and a lot quicker. I mean, the design process for us and some of the rooms that people see in the book was so much quicker and more natural because we could hear ourselves say like, this is what I want. This is what I'm going to do. So this is a perfect segue. Let's talk about the decision to stop blogging last October. What went into it? I think at the time it was an issue of balance for us. 
you know, if someone has followed our blog for a long time, they've heard us talk about work-life balance for probably years. So it's not really news. It's something we struggled with trying to figure out how to balance the needs of our work and the time with our family and time away from work. And I think we got a little bit tired of always talking about it and not making any meaningful progress. We were really tired of hearing ourselves talk about it. Like, oh, boo little bloggers can't figure out work-life balance. We were like, we need to move this needle in a way that is large and meaningful, kind of like how we sort of pulled the ripcord and moved from New York City to Richmond. That was in pursuit of this lifestyle that we wanted. We never wanted to be people who lived to work every minute. We wanted to work and have defined off hours to reconnect with our family and unplug because we believe that makes you better at your job and a better family. You know, we wanted to foster those values in our children. We didn't want our kids to watch us working all the time and on vacations to be on our phone. And when they ask us a question, to be looking at our laptop instead of in their eyes. We were just tired of talking about it. Well, in 2014 was an especially busy year for us in the start of the year. We knew this going in. We were working on our show house. We had our products launching for the first time. We were starting the second book, and Sherry was pregnant. There was a lot happening. (laughs) And so by summer, some of those things had kind of quieted down a little bit. And so we were like, okay, once those things are off our plate, we can get back to the core of what we've always loved, which is renovating and blogging, and like all will be right with the world again. And I think we got to that place and it still wasn't fitting for some reason. We couldn't really figure out why we weren't hitting a groove again and getting as much joy as we once did out of the blogging process. And so that's sort of how we decided to pull the ripcord in this case and take a break from blogging because we're like, we need to do something dramatic to make this fall back into place. When we took the break at the beginning of September last year, we you thought, said it'll be at least a month long, and we thought in our heads, oh my gosh, in two if weeks. If we last a week, good, like, good for <laughs> us, because we're probably going to be itching with our like Instagram and our camera to just snap away at whatever we're doing. Right, like how do you share your whole life for seven years, or most of your life for seven years, and then just don't do it anymore? We thought it would be like a craving or a reflex or something that we couldn't turn off like that. But it was kind of amazing that it turned off pretty easily. I mean, I don't mean to sound like flip about it, but it was like, Going to this place where we suddenly were just living things and not documenting them all the time and explaining them all the time really felt like the right place to be. And so that's how we decided to make that break more permanent and continue without the blog for so long. You know, I said it was an issue of balance up front as kind of just feeling like we were juggling lots of work things and they were forcing out all the life things. But I think over the last few months, it's become clear to us that even if we had sorted out the literal time of work and if we had you know, stopped at 5 p.m., I think there still would have been this overlap of personal and business that would have been uncomfortable for us still, where our life was our work and our work was our life and our kids and our family and our home was content for the world. I think that's the thing that as maybe we got older, or our family got bigger, or I don't know, the internet changed, whatever the reason, that overlap wasn't working for us anymore. So I think we've gotten to a place now where if you think about it as a Venn diagram, those two circles of business and personal, those were almost one and the same for us for the last several years. I think now we're like, they need to have a slight overlap at most. And we need to be able to do our work. We need to be able to turn it off and go live our life and not have that life always become work. From what you're sharing, I can't quite tell. So I'm just going to ask it straight out. 
Are you guys thinking about getting a better balance in that Venn diagram and coming back to blogging? Or are you saying that you've just found with your current situation using your industry skills from the new and old life that you like the overlap that is currently going on and want to continue that going forward? I think we're extremely guarded about losing the balance and we don't quite trust ourselves. I think in moving from New York City to make this lifestyle change in the pursuit of this simple life where we make a modest living and we live modestly and we, it's not more, 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 more hits, more traffic, more everything. I think we fell back into that with the blog and sort of were doing all these crazy big things and it felt like it was snowballing out of our control. So I think we would completely be open to sharing our lives again, but in a way that felt like our life didn't revolve around the blog. I think we'd never, ever do it as a job again, like a full-time gig where with so much attention focused on it. And I think it would have to feel like the blog was a piece of the pie of our life, not like our life revolved around the blog. Because it literally was to the point where we'd go on vacation and we'd be like, oh my gosh, what can we blog about? Let's always have our camera. We can't miss this to share it. Instead of being in the moment, we were like documenting the moment and then we were reenacting the moment online later. Yeah, you're like living your lives for your readers. Right, right. It almost felt like that. If I shot a room and it looked worse than it did in real life, I was like mad because I was like, oh, I wish everyone could see how it really looks. And it's weird to have that much onus on documenting and explaining something. I think it's healthier to say like, if we went back to blogging just as like maybe once a month, we were like, here's what we did and it's not our job. It's not this machine anymore. It's just us throwing up, hey, look, we added landscape lighting. I think it would have to make that balance of like, I don't get mad if I can't get a good picture. And I don't feel like I'm letting people down if it's not a juicy post. I think there was a lot of identity for us wrapped up in our online selves. And I think our identity has to now remain in our real live selves. We've learned that that's like a much healthier place to be. I think that the perception, and I'm just going to quickly put this out here because I think that those that are listening are possibly some of them thinking like me. I thought it had a lot to do with the extreme scrutiny that you guys got and just even in your own comments from time to time with people having opinions about how you guys were doing it wrong. Did that play into this or was it truly just the work-life balance alone? I think that's certainly part of it. I think it's an easy sort of symptom to point to. Any feedback you get that is not entirely positive or you feel like you maybe you're being misunderstood or you haven't expressed yourself as clearly as you should have, I think that all sticks with you and it adds to kind of the stress of the job. But I think that it's certainly not the reason because even if that had gone away, even the positive feedback that you get, I think we've learned in retrospect, has a big influence on you because you know if someone says, oh, I love this, this is perfect, this is the best thing you've ever done or whatever it is, it steers you towards that and doing more of that. And that may be away from what you want to do in your brain. I think we saw it a lot even when we were navigating kind of our mix of posts. You know, like, oh, we did a big juicy room reveal and people loved it, so let's do more of those. And then we'd get way down that rabbit hole and someone would raise their hand and be like, um, I kind of miss the like small crafty posts. And you'd be like, oh gosh, crafty post, Let, let's do one of those. <laughs> and so I think it's the mix of feedback that we've realized in retrospect, was really challenging because any given day, you're hearing both ends of the spectrum. You're my favorite person ever. You're a genius to you're the worst person ever. You're stupid. You're caught trying to make sense of all that. Admittedly, it kind of makes you crazy some days trying to figure out where the truth is between that because sometimes there may be truth to the positive things. Sometimes there's probably truth to the negative things, but you just 
get to this place where you have trouble figuring out what you want to believe. It's- I think nobody can blog though for seven years and say that they left because they couldn't handle what people were saying because the truth is people had been talking about us for years and years and years and they had been saying positive and negative things for years and years and years. So I think it really was, a, like John said, more of a symptom. Like it was interesting that people were having such big reactions to things like a paint color <laughs> or like what we chose to do in the house where we lived. But I think it definitely was part of the landscape. I mean, I always say, like, if you think about what you were doing when you were 25 and you had no children and you had your first house, and then you think seven years later about where you are as a person, but you have two kids, you're in your 30s, everything is different. I think having a baby really changes things, especially having our second child. We noticed how quickly it goes. Teddy and already having Clara being five was like this reminder that, oh my gosh, it goes so fast. Teddy's one, but our daughter's five and we'll blink our eyes and they'll both be teenagers. There was a lot of introspection happening that there was the symptom of people talking about what we should and shouldn't do. But I think it's clear to anyone who read comments that there was nothing that everyone would have universally been happy with. That was nice. It was clarity for us to know like, okay, it's not everyone saying do this one thing and we'll all be pleased. It was that everybody wanted something different. And we knew that. I mean, we blogged about that five years earlier. Do what you want in your own home. You can't, you know, live your life for everyone else. But I think the reality is it's really hard when it's your full-time job to sort of entertain all these people who come into your home every day and see what you're doing. It's hard to practice what you preach when you say, don't care about the masses, just do you in your own home. But your job is kind of to care about the masses. (laughs) Yeah, no, I think so. Did you guys listen to the MyLeak episode? I know you guys are big, lively show. (laughs) Oh my gosh, she is so, she said things. I was like, that's a brave girl. (laughs) (laughs) I know, right? She said, even if you try to please them, they still may not like that. So don't sugarcoat who you are. Did you guys feel similarly listening to her? Like, oh, if only I could do that even more. (laughs) I think it's really interesting because I think in some ways we had different expectations on us, I think, than most people. I think it was expected that we shared everything. A lot of people were upset when we bought a house and didn't tell anyone we bought it because we didn't have an alarm system. It was a vacant house that was sitting with nobody in it for months. And I think people were upset that we kind of sat on it for months, in quotes. But in reality, when you're a blogger, every day you ask yourself, what is smart for me to share and what is just dumb? What is oversharing that's the way for people to connect with me and helpful? And what is oversharing in a, you need more boundaries, that's unsafe. And we thought even for our neighbors, the HVAC guy who's over there dealing with the house while we're on a book tour, we just didn't want to put something out there that we couldn't protect. So I really think it got to a point where we were like, there is a lot of pressure and nobody, no other jobs are like this. Like, I don't think your employer is upset over you buying a house and not telling him. And so it made us evaluate what makes this a really fun job to have and what makes this a difficult thing to navigate, you know, and there's no roadmap. There wasn't when we started blogging and I think there still isn't. There certainly yeah. was a roadmap on how to end. Right. There was no road. <laughs> We always joke. We kind of tripped and fell off the internet stage or like we say like we moonwalked out of there. We're just bad at goodbyes. And the funny thing about that was it was like, oh, you should have ended the year. Or, oh, you should have like done a week of goodbyes. And it was kind of like, there's no handbook. There were people who said you should have kept blogging until your book came out. And we were like, we think that would have been the worst decision of our lives because it would be forced. It would be us doing something that felt unnatural. And it felt disrespectful to our readers and to our blog to continue to do something that just felt so wrong. 
maybe that would have been a good business decision, but it certainly personally would have been like sort of sticky and gross to us. We just wanted to be honest with everyone and tell everyone how we were feeling and be real. And it wasn't fun and light. So it was kind of hard news to deliver. Yeah, I think you guys had a very unique audience. And I think there are other people that do have similar audiences, but I don't think overall in the blogosphere that there is quite such a rabid opinion. Do you think that that had something to do with how you guys approached your blog? And maybe that was part of the secret sauce to success for it, but also was the double-edged sword that also made it really difficult to lead? Yeah, I think we, from the very beginning, put a high value on the conversation. We loved hearing from people and we really encouraged that conversation. I mean, Sherry, I have to hand it to her because she was the person manning it most of the time, was so dedicated to responding to people in the comments, especially when we were starting out and it was a smaller audience. Like, if you're going to take the time out of your day to say something to me, the least I can do is take some time back to let you know that you've been heard. That sort of philosophy going into it and maintaining it for so long was a lot of what helped people connect with us so strongly because they knew if they were going to say something that it wasn't just going to be lost out on the internet. We were actually hearing it. But I think that probably did end up to some degree being a double-edged sword because it did get everyone invested in us and it got us very invested in other people. I think that's why we got to this place where we are having trouble navigating and sort of filtering through all the commentary because as the volume of comments grew and the diversity of opinions grew, we were trying to give equal value as much as we could. And it's just so hard to do that. So I think it it did become tough. And I think it made everyone, including us, very emotionally invested in a lot of the things we did that, you know, at the end of the day are probably not worthy of anyone's emotional investment, like the knobs you pick for your doors. But I'll take ownership in having part and created that. (laughs) What would you tell someone else who's struggling with public scrutiny like that, or just in general, personally? At the time when someone's saying something, you It's really hard to understand if it's valid or if it's not. It's very easy to filter out what says more about the other person, right? Like if someone's saying something rude about your child, I don't even internalize that. That says more to me about the other person than about me because I would never do that. But if someone's saying something like decorating, oh, I don't know if that was the right choice. I certainly am the type of personality to internalize that and be like, oh my gosh, is it the wrong choice? And then it felt like, well, everyone's waiting for me to respond. What do I say? But I think in that moment, it's very easy to be defensive. Looking back, we wished we were less defensive and less reactive. And I think we were stubborn in some places. But our goal was always to be open and to share our trials and errors and just figure it out as we went along. In some ways, I wish we had just sort of said, we're not sure. But we'd always be like, well, we were going for this and we were trying to do this. And like it got like sort of overwrought and wordy and defensive. And I think sometimes it just... It would have been nice if things could just be what they are. Like, it's a color you don't like, and we like it, at least for now. We might change it. You might be completely right. I don't know. We don't have all the answers. I think one thing that we're learning more so in recent months and something we're trying to practice ourselves is that we need to demonstrate through actions, not words. I think in some ways, words become the ammunition of the internet because that's how we're all communicating with one another. As Sherry was just saying, we tried to use explanations and defenses sometimes by over-explaining things to hopefully let people know, well, this is where we were coming from, or you know, this is our opinion on something. And I think those things can easily get twisted against you. Honestly, anything can probably be twisted against you if someone tries hard enough. More and more, we're just trying to live something confidently than try to explain it thoroughly. Losing the whole stage of documenting and explaining while you go 
makes us feel like maybe sharing something after the fact would be the best balance. Because say we did our kitchen and the world just was interested in seeing our kitchen. Maybe no one will be interested when we're finished with our kitchen because goodness knows when we're ever going to do it. But if we threw up a post about the kitchen and then maybe did a follow-up on how we did some project in it, it's the way that a lot of bloggers blog now. They share things after the fact. It allows them to have the full process of getting to where they're going and people just see the full picture. And I think in some ways that might just really simplify it. The little decisions wouldn't be under a microscope, especially before things come together. There were so many people who, when we were making choices, later would come back and comment such nice things. Like, I was completely giving side eye to the of art up, and you, like, added the finishes, and everything started to make sense. And, like, I am, like, publicly saying I didn't think it was going to look good, and now it looks good. And it's, like, so awesome to hear that, but it also confuses you because there are other times when people say, this looks bad, this looks bad, this looks bad, and, and you get to a place where you're like, it does look bad. You never know if you're sharing every point of something, if people who are like, ooh, don't do that, are going to at the end be like, oh, now I see why you did that. Or if they're going to be like, "Mm, still don't like those curtains. Do you think taking the comments away in the future, if you ever came back, would be a positive or a negative? It's so hard because we love connecting with people. The interesting thing when we talk to a lot of our friends who still blog, because we're still very much, we're fans of blogging. We still read lots of blogs. We're still watch people on Instagram and Facebook. They have said that comments have moved to social media a lot anyway, and we're kind of semi-active on social media. About once a week, we check in, and we always say it's an awesome balance for us because it used to be sharing 20 photos a day of our house, and now there might be one a week. And so that is definitely a huge balance for us. It might just be that it's not a website full of comments, but if people on social media had a question or wanted to talk about it over there, obviously, that's a free-for-all in comments anyway. We might squat comments less just because it's not going to be our full-time job again. And that turns into quite a big thing to manage. And it becomes a thing that you do in your day every day. I think the internet is less into everything that we do because we've taken a step back. And I think we're less into what the internet thinks since we've taken a step back. And that's probably healthy for everyone. It's nice that we can do a job for my real client and I see that that should be the priority. And I see now very clearly that when I was doing a post that I had a big 30 picture post and I was so excited for this big reveal, but I ditched out on friends for dinner because I had to finish that. That wasn't a good choice. And now I see that I would make that choice. Like never again would I say, I have to put a blog post up so I can't do this thing with Clara I said I'd do or do this thing with friends and family or like go on this vacation and I'm on my phone. We didn't make this big dramatic recalibration to just go back to doing that again. So I think there certainly will be a difference in our presence moving forward, however feels right for us. But I also think we're always reevaluating. What I'm saying right now might be different in a year. You know, our whole lives for seven years, we've changed our mind a million times on the blog. And I think you're allowed to sort of reevaluate as you go. I think it also goes back to the idea of balance and also where you get your self-worth from. Because I think we had our self-worth and our identity, as Sherry said earlier, really wrapped up in the blog. And so it meant that our emotions and, again, our, our self-worth was kind of wrapped up in that roller coaster. And since we hadn't made time in our days to fill with other things, other jobs or activities or friends or family as much, it was harder to turn to those things for balance. And so I think right now we're at this great place where – If we do have something that goes poorly in one aspect of our life, like if a job does not go so well, we have nine other things to turn to to still say, these things validate me. I still have self-worth because I know I'm a good X, Y, and Z. 
and you don't have everything balancing on one singular item to tell you you've done a good job. Here's a question that Tiffany asked. She asked, do you still struggle with the decision you made to stop doing the blog so definitively? Like if you did a cool party or something for Teddy, for example, and you're like, oh, this would have been fun to blog about because of the way you ended it, it seems so concrete. Do you guys ever struggle with that decision or not? I guess in our minds, it doesn't feel entirely definitive. I think that our last 10 months or so has been an experiment on where where we're going to land on what we share. And like Sherry said, like we've been active on social media. You know, we were wondering when we put up our first Instagram post after we stopped, like, how's this going to go over? (laughs) (laughs) Is there going to be no one there? You know, and suddenly all the unfollows come or something. But everyone's been so amazingly supportive and understanding and happy to see, you know, what we do share that we feel like it's not a line in the sand that we can't cross. So that if we did, you know, throw Teddy a party or something where we're like, wow, this is so great. We got great pictures. We feel like we're in a place where we could hopefully share that and it not be, you know, this big flag going up like they're back. I'm going to wait for their weekly post. I think it's hard because it's been a long time. But in our final post, we definitively said in that we might come back in some other capacity because we didn't want to say we're never going to be back because it's really hard to trust how much you're doing that's like an emotional reaction to even a month break. You can't base your whole life on how you feel in a month. There have been months, no doubt, where we've said we will never, ever share again, ever. And there have been months where we've been like, oh my gosh, we, we did this project. And it was so easy. I'm just the DIY lover in me is dying to tell everyone about it. But like my friends don't care. <laughs> I am almost by nature best friends with people who hire people to do this stuff. They don't care. So it's like, oh my gosh, who can I talk to about how fun this was putting this together? The answer is to share that and not overthink it. If there was a way where we could just be like, dude, we're not defining this. We're not, we're certainly not blogging for an income. This is might just be a hobby and we'll share things with anyone who cares. It might be crickets. We're totally cool with that. I really like the reciprocal feeling of no pressure. If someone likes following us on Instagram for free or likes accessing our free content on our site, but doesn't want to buy our books or our products, totally cool. I completely understand it. Reflexively, I like that if somebody likes seeing what we're doing, but recognizes we're not doing it for a living, that they don't expect me to have a certain schedule or share a certain word count or share a certain, you know, like everything in my life. I like this new sort of boundary where if we want to share it, we might share it. And it might be shared in a different way than we used to share things. You know, when you're holding something so tight, you crush it. It felt like that was the blog at the end. Our family relied on it to put food on the table, money in the kids' college fund, to pay our medical insurance. And it just felt like we were crushing it. And so the way that we would go back to it would be to just be completely different and chill and just be like, this is not something we depend on for income. It's not something we like stress about. It used to be the end of a vacation or we'd leave a party or we'd duck out the website of, went down. if yeah. the website crashed. And now it's like, we don't even look. We're not on the website once a month. We don't even know. And honestly, the traffic has slowed down to a point where it doesn't crash anymore in a nice way. And so it's like everything has kind of rebalanced itself since we've taken this step. We don't act like we're going to be back every day and nobody expects us to be back every day. Maybe it could work. And maybe we try it and it feels weird and we, it doesn't work. So what would you say to your younger selves in 2010 as you're about to embark on this full-time journey? If you could go back in a time machine, what would you tell those younger people? I think just be open to trial and error and don't be afraid to course correct. It's so funny. It's like the anthem of our blog was always do you and don't care about like what your mother-in-law might think of that color choice and don't live for other people. 
And in some weird ways at the end, it felt like we were doing this very cowardly thing by walking away. But now I think in hindsight, we see it as just another point at which we trial and errored our way around and we recalibrated. And those are like now things that we're not embarrassed of or ashamed of. We're proud of those moments because much like taking that leap and leaving New York City for a better lifestyle, we have seen the other side of this. We have a great lifestyle. We have moved the needle. John has trained for and done triathlons. I'm weirdly doing Zumba classes, which I never thought I'd like. My friends have recruited me to do these crazy dance classes for an hour and a half, and I'm sweating, and I'm dropping low at all the wrong times to turn down for what? (laughs) It is weird. I am not a gym girl. But our lives have increased in width, if that makes sense. Our circle is so much wider now. It's not just internet lives. We travel more. We entertain more. We go do fun things at other people's houses. We're not looking at our phones. We visited friends of ours, and they were like, I can't believe how different you are. I almost felt like crying because I thought, I'm so embarrassed that you thought I was this person who always looked at my phone. It was like validating to see that she thought I had changed because I made this big change in my life and it actually worked. I think what we tell anyone and encourage anyone to do is if something feels wrong or unnatural, you have to change it because no one is going to change it for you. That's a great question. I never thought to ask, what do your friends and family think of the changes that you've made in the last 10 months? Our family was a little nervous, like, you're what? What are you doing now? (laughs) Because I think we finally got them used to, like, this is a legitimate job. We have a book. We have this following. and (laughs) Yeah, we finally got to the point of understanding what blogging was, and then we changed it on them. (laughs) (laughs) We thought blogging was hard to explain as a career. Like, right now, just with having, you know, so many eggs in different baskets, I think it's even harder. But our family and our friends have learned to trust us over the years because we have made a few of these leaps from moving to Richmond from New York City, from me quitting my full-time job to now, you know, stepping back from the blog in a big way. By now, they're sort of like, they know what they're doing. They'll land on their feet. And I think like Sherry said a moment ago, people saw some immediate changes in our priorities. We stopped using the blog as an excuse for, you know, why we couldn't be somewhere, why we couldn't do something or why we were distracted. What internal doubts or resistance are you currently facing in your life? Since it sounds like a lot of these we're talking about are from the blog world, what's going on in your lives now that you're working through? It's like weird to say this, but we're in a really good place. The things we're working through are just to keep ourselves from going back to that unhealthy place. We see that it has been a pattern that we make this big dramatic change and it moves the needle. But then the irony is not lost on us that we moved to Richmond for a better work-life balance and then we we're so deep into blogging that we didn't have a life outside of it. And then we needed to make that shift again for work-life balance. So I think really now the doubts and resistance are just to make every time we share something, we have to make sure we're not sharing this for likes. We're not sharing this for like any sort of external reaction. It's just sort of, Oh, this is so funny. Maybe once a week I'll share one picture that doesn't feel deeply rooted in needing collective praise or validation. Validation. It just feels very low pressure to everyone involved. And so I think that we're fighting with ourselves because even sometimes we say we'll never go back to blogging. And sometimes we say, I could totally see this being one post that we just throw up and say like, Hey dudes, let's not overthink this. (laughs) Here's a post on landscape lighting. (laughs) Guys, we reached the hall closet with this like new system of shelving. I know that's boring to most people, but some people are really into closets like me. So I'm sharing it. We've learned that anything can be perceived by other people in certain ways. So it really has to be about how we feel about it. We think it's very clear when you leave the internet for this long that it's not about validation or, you know, notoriety or the likes. 
because if you needed those, you would have stayed, right? I mean, that's to me seems very obvious. But I think anyone can say anything, you know, one post a week can seem like they need the attention. So like, to me, it's more like, I don't think anymore about what other people will think. I try to think about how it feels for me. So if I have a very pure reason of posting something because I think it's cute. I love connecting with our following in some way that doesn't feel like it oversteps the boundary. Like this is just a cute picture. It's nothing more, nothing less. Then I'm like totally down with it. I just have to check myself. Am I updating a house tour because everyone's asking me to? Or am I updating the house tour because I just feel like I have the time and my it's not putting my real jobs at risk to do this thing for the blog? Yeah, it sounds like Kate Aarons and that authenticity definition she gives at the end. Yeah. It sounds like that's what you're describing. Totally. It was such a good interview, the whole thing. So at the end, for anyone who hasn't heard that episode, she says authenticity is something you would do even if no one was watching. So if you would do it in a room by yourself, then that's something that is authentic to you versus if you would change your actions because others are watching it. Exactly. That is literally the question that we ask ourselves. (laughs) Here's the last question. What would you tell someone who is just starting out on this journey? I think I would tell them to embrace the adventure of it and be willing to experiment and try and fail. I think that's something we did a lot in our early days, especially because in 2007, 2008, blogging was not the industry that it is now. And you didn't have the conferences and the books and, you know, those before you to really have paved a way. So I think all of us that were blogging back then were really kind of making it up as we went along, especially when you have a smaller audience, too. It's easy to try things. And if it doesn't work out, so what? I think we kind of lost that fun of experimenting and trying as time went on because we developed our habits. We kind of knew what worked for us and what didn't. And we also had a kind of an audience to keep us in check if they thought we were veering too far into something too experimental. That might have been part of what made blogging less fun for us in the later months. We felt like we were locked into a system and we didn't embrace the ability to try new things or experiment. We're kind of recapturing that now that we've made the risky experiment to stop updating our blog regularly. And so now we're back in that stage of life where we're sort of like, well, look, someone you know invited us to help do these model homes. Let's try it. You know, It's something we know we've enjoyed from our past show house jobs. So let's Put me experiment. in a room full of tile choices, and I'm the happiest clam you've ever seen. <laughs> Literally, we're like, is this going to be fun? Why not? Like we're, we're doing that, like, what's the worst that could happen thing? And there is obviously a lot of more experiment you can do in your life when you're not worried about doing it on a stage. Or supporting your whole household. Right. So there's two things. There's not like the public scrutiny of everything we choose to do. And there's not the, oh my gosh, what if everybody leaves and I can't pay the bills? Now it's so nice because we have so many eggs in so many different baskets. If the book doesn't do well or nobody wants to buy our products, hey, we have other products that don't even have our name on them that are great. We have other jobs like advertising. We're doing the freelance writing thing and we're doing we're doing all sorts of other things. You're naming cheeseburgers. Exactly. I'm, <laughs> I'm naming things you put in your drawer and on your head and in your bag. So there's like this beautiful diversity in our lives that wasn't there before. I wish everyone would do this. I think it's scary as hell. Wait, to close the blogs? <laughs> I think everyone should stop blogging. No, I'm kidding. No, no, I don't, sorry. I don't mean do this by quitting blogs. I mean what John said, experimenting and having fun and being spontaneous and inviting things that might add to your life into your life instead of saying, I don't have time for you and putting them on a shelf. Oh, that is so great. I have waited a long time. You may not even know this, but I reached out to you right after you chose to end this in October of last year. 
Oh my gosh, we didn't know that. No, I emailed you and I was like, well, I guess she's not looking at her inbox after she said she's done blogging. So I feel like I'll never see this. But anyways, I'm so glad that we got to wait till now because I think what you're sharing is so real and I think considered, right? Because you've been able to live this life for the last 10 months and really find yourselves after that experience and see what the after effect is. And it's so wonderful to hear that you guys have followed your values and recalibrated them in a way to be what is ultimately most important to you in the legacy sense of what your lives are and what your family's life is. Thank you guys so much for spending time with us today. I'm so grateful that I got to share this story and to spend time with you today. Oh, thanks, Jess. It was great. Yeah, this has been really good. And there you have it. Thank you so much for listening. And Sherry and John, Thank you so much for coming on the show. I know you guys have put a lot into this episode, and I want to just thank you so much for coming on and sharing with us. If you would like to send John and Sherry a message, you can do so on Twitter and Instagram. Their handle is Young House Love. And if you'd like to find me on Twitter, Instagram, or Snapchat, you can find me at Jess, C as in chocolate chip cookie, Lively. And of course, for show notes, you can go over to JessLively.com slash John and Sherry. Now, before I share next week's guest, I'm going to quickly share with you what I love about today's sponsor, FreshBooks.com. As you guys heard me share last week and you've heard me on other episodes share, I'm obsessed with this bookkeeping software. And if you are a business owner online, particularly if you're a freelancer, I cannot say anything other than go over to FreshBooks.com lively and sign up for the 30-day trial. One of my favorite things about FreshBooks is the invoicing software. If you're a freelancer and you need to bill for your time or you need to send out specific invoices on a regular interval or just one at a time and you use PayPal especially, you need to be doing this because all you have to do is make the person's profile, send the invoice, which then automatically populates the PayPal invoice. And once it's paid or even viewed, you will see that information in your FreshBooks and it will immediately count it in your bookkeeping so you do not have to do anything other than send the invoice in the first place. After that, there's no more bookkeeping for you, which means if you've also hooked up your accounts like I have with my credit card for my expenses to come in for my business, you really only have to spend, or at least I only have to spend, a few minutes per month just looking over the expenses and making sure the uncategorized ones are taken care of. Go to freshbooks.com lively for your free 30-day trial. And now for a quick update on next week's show, we're going to be speaking with Katie Evans of HooraySmail.com. I have gotten to know Katie through Life with Intention online. She's an alumni from the course, and I cannot wait to share her real experience and how this class has actually changed her life and ultimately how it's helped her start HooraySmail in the first place. Until then, may something wonderful happen to you today. Today.